Let's pray. Father, as we just sang, here in the death of Christ, we live. And just seeing the good news, singing of what Jesus has done in just a simple way, Lord, is just, even for me, Lord, just so powerful. And just a reminder again of your great goodness toward us in Jesus. May we lean into that this morning. May we lean into your grace and into your love. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. We pray that you would powerfully stir our hearts to know you, to know your will. Lord, this time is yours. We give it to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You come across a passage of scripture like the one that David just read for us, and you know right away that our faith, our Christian faith, our Christianity, was never meant to be lived out as a private spiritual experience. That our faith in Jesus Christ is meant to be lived out. It's meant to be proclaimed in public places, in, in our everyday lives. That our, our faith isn't just something here, but it's something that we live out there. We are to pray that the Christian faith, that faith in Jesus, would spread it would spread among all people and spread among all nations. We are to, to speak to others. This, therefore, our faith is an evangelistic faith. Now, the word evan evangelistic or evangelical, is, it's a good word. It comes from this Greek word here. It's euangelion on the upper left there. And you can almost see. So the word, that word in Greek just means good news. So when Jesus said, uh, repent and believe the good news, he uses that word. That's the word that's recorded. And you can almost see if that, it's sort of like an E, and if the U was more like a V, and those Ys are kind of like G's, like evangelio. Okay, in the, you can almost see evangelism in there. I know that's not how language works, by the way, but just <laughs> for the sake of looking at it. And then, so, so that's um, the good news. So evangelism is just proclaiming that same good news. So we are evangelical Christians. Now, unfortunately, that term, evangelical, has, be, has been used, and it's, it's become a, a word that describes, as, as people have tried to describe uh, politically, how people of certain groups think and vote. That's really unfortunate, because Christians who have experienced this good news, and who are evangelistic and, and sharing the good news with the world around them don't all agree on how uh, the U.S. government should be organized and how to vote and, and these sort of things. We, we don't all agree on that. What we do hold in common is that we've received something so precious and so good from the Lord and, and that we want to speak it and share it. In fact, we're called to speak it and share it to the world around us. So I guess my point there is it's a very good word, but it's become sort of a... a it's become a label that is not helpful. Um, if you are not a Christian, maybe you're here this morning, you're some, uh, invited as a guest here, or you're just exploring Jesus, you know, the fact that our faith is an evangelical faith, evangelistic faith, is, uh, might be one of the reasons that you don't like Christianity. It might be one of the things that, that keeps you from wanting to even be a Christian. And you may have heard it expressed. I've heard it expressed sort of like this. 
I don't like Christians because Christians think that I'm deficient. They think that I'm not good enough and they want to change me and they think that they're better than me and if I believed like them and if I was more like them, then I would be better too. And I hate that. My hope for you, if that's you this morning, or if someone you love has expressed in, you know, in so many words that type of a, a feeling, that you might understand something different this morning. That you would hear something different as I speak. That it's not about somebody thinks you're bad or somebody thinks you're deficient, but it's that somebody has received God's grace and experienced Jesus in a way that is so life-transforming and so powerful that they want to share it, that they want everyone to know it and to see it, that it's a joy and a, and a privilege to share it. And for those who have experienced it and for those who have experienced the very living presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God alive in them, you want to share it. But here's what happens. We go out, we leave here, we have this precious good news, we go out and, and we know we're supposed to share it and we get cold feet. I think that's a good image for us because the idea of the good news of Jesus, the message in our feet, is a scriptural idea. Ephesians chapter 6 says, stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Again, gospel, euangelion, the, the good news of peace. That our feet should be ready to, to proclaim this good news. Romans chapter 10, and here Paul is, the, the writer, is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The good news is in your feet, you, you, as you go. Jesus said, as you go, make disciples. As you go about your everyday, as your feet go, your feet are always ready to share this good news of what Jesus has done. But we get cold feet. So I think that's a good image, but I don't know where that image comes from. That's not a Bible image. So what does cold feet mean? Somebody gets, we know what it means. You know, you talk about a groom gets cold feet before his wedding, or just somebody gets nervous. But where did that, what's the origin of that? So I tried to research it, and there's actually not agreement of where that comes from. Some think it might be more of a military image. So back in the days, you've got a, a troop, and they're uh, camped out, ready to go into battle on the front line. And if your feet were exposed to the elements and you got frostbite, you couldn't go onto the front, you couldn't fight. And you were, so let's say you didn't, you weren't sure that you really wanted to risk your life and fight, you might expose your feet to the cold and you would have frostbite and you would have cold feet and you wouldn't be fighting on the front line. It makes, that makes sense how we get our notion of cold feet. The other image is an uh, image of Cold in the feet can mean that you don't have a lot of money. So somebody who's poor would be known as someone who was cold in the feet. So if you were a gambler and you weren't quite sure you could make the wager, you didn't have the money to back it up, you might back away because you're cold in the feet because you don't have the resources to cover that. I, I, don't, know, I don't know which of those is, is true or either of them. Um, what's my point? Oh, in a spiritual sense. Cold feet would come from a cold heart. Our feet get cold because our hearts are cold. Now, don't feel guilty about that. 
because my heart is cold and everyone's heart gets cold. It's, we are born with cold hearts, hearts that are corrupted by sin, hearts that the essence of sin is really pride and selfishness. We understand selfishness. You give something precious to a child, like a little pack of uh, Sour Patch Kids, and you say, oh, share that with your brother. No. These are mine. I say, well, that's selfishness, but you have something precious that you're unwilling to share. When we receive something precious and we don't want to share it, it's, it's, it, it's essentially selfishness. Or we have something precious, but we don't want to share it because we're afraid of how we might be perceived. And we have an image we want to uphold, and we're not sure what people are going to think about us. That's pride. It's, it's my own status. Whether it's selfishness or pride, and those things play off each other. It, it's, it, it's a heart that's corrupted by sin. So, now the scripture doesn't speak about a cold heart, but it does speak about a heart of stone. Look at this verse from the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow all my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This cold heart, this heart of stone, the only way for it to change the only way for it to change for me, the only way for it to change for you is if God's Spirit comes in and transforms that cold stone heart into a warm heart of flesh. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The key to this happening is prayer. Prayer is the key. As we pray, the Spirit of God trans transforms our heart. Remember, prayer is not about me trying to change God's heart. It's, it's about... God changing my heart as I pray. And the Spirit changes our heart as we pray. Ephesians 6. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That this, as we pray, the Spirit is at work. Again, in Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit, as we pray, is, is interceding in my heart, is is forming my prayers. And as we pray, the Spirit changes the heart of stone, the cold heart, into a heart of flesh that is warm. And from the warm heart come warm feet, and as we go with our warm feet, we share the good news. And I want to look at this text in, in just two very basic practices that will cultivate this evangelistic life of a warm heart and warm feet. One is speaking to God about people. And the second is speaking to people about God. Let's look at this first one. Speaking to God about people, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God would open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be committed to this. Be watchful and thankful. Being, being thankful, just being grateful for this, for, for even being able to pray, for being connected to God, for having received such good news that Jesus Christ came and he lived and he died in your place to forgive you of your sins, to raise to new life, to give you new life, to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, all the ways we describe it. Be thankful. And then pray for an open door to the message of Christ. 
Part of our daily prayers need to be prayers that God will open these doors that people will know the good news of Jesus. That's what Paul is asking for, and that is how we can pray too. You should have received this resource when you came in this morning, this prayer ministry at Free Christian Church. We had a team of people uh, under Rizal's leadership and a whole team of people who are committed to prayer and to help others to praise, so that we might become a praying church. Not a church that prays, but a praying church. And if you turn to the so back cover and then one more page in, you'll see this resource called Pray for Six. This is a great way to start praying for people in your life that they might, that God might open doors, that they might come to know Jesus Christ, to know the good news of the gospel. And what you can do is, you can see the instructions there, but you just kind of write names of people in your everyday life, people that you come into contact with, and just start praying for them. And there's some ways listed here that you can pray for them and pray for yourself. And it's a very, just a very simple tool that we like to use to start this practice of praying, just as, as Paul is encouraging this church in Colossae to pray. Um, if you start praying this way, doors tend to open up. Now, if you don't like making lists, because you could make a list of people to pray for and then not pray for them, and then you feel more guilty... It's just one more thing you didn't do, then don't use it. That, if, you're, if that's kind of how you're wired, don't use this resource. Just wake up in the morning and pray for one. God, give me one person today that I might demonstrate your love, that I might speak your love to someone today. Just give me that. So you can pray that way. But many people find this helpful. I've used this uh, for a number of years. I was working with a group of church leaders in Bill Ricca, and they gave me permission to share this story. And this is just a few weeks ago. And I encourage them. I meet with them about once a month. They're trying to redevelop and reinvigorate their church, and I'm, I'm working with them. And uh, a lot of good stuff happening in this church. And I encourage them in our first meeting. I said, I, I want to sort of challenge you to start praying for six. Just write down names of people. Actually, pray to God and ask him to show you who he wants you to pray for. And just write the names down. Just start praying for them regularly. See what happens. Next month when we get back together, let me know if anything comes of that. And we, so we gathered back together a few weeks ago, and this woman raised her hand. She said, I'd like to go first. I said, yeah, how's it going? She said, I accepted your challenge to pray for people in my life, and I started praying. Started praying. She said, I decided to pray for the woman who walks her dog by my house every day, sometimes twice a day. Now, this woman walks her dog by the house, and in three years has never looked up to make eye contact. I don't even think the dog has even looked at this one. And, and they go by about their, their day. Now, this is, very, this is a very normal rule of engagement in New England. And it, those of you who are chuckling are not Native New Englanders. Native New Englanders say, yeah, that sounds pretty normal. That's what you do. You don't know the person. You just kind of walk by. You don't look at them because then you're going to have to acknowledge that they're there and, I don't know, smile or say hi or something. So just keep walking. Um, but for those, so that way of engagement seems strange to outsiders, but it's very normal to, uh, to many New Englanders. That's just kind of the way we walk dogs. So I'm not a fan of dogs anyway, but don't hold that against me. So anyway, she starts praying for this woman. That very same week, the woman's walking her dog, and the dog walking person stops at her driveway. She's standing there, turns to her and says, hey, how you doing? And she about fell over. <laughs> 
Now, to you, that might seem like the simplest, nothing of a story. But for this woman, she was committed to praying for her neighbor who she doesn't know her name. Got to meet her. They, hi, I'm, so they had a, a little greeting and talking about the weather. A door was opened up for relationship. I believe it was through prayer that God opened that door. Uh, I've seen it in my own prayer. I, there was a, I told you the story before, but there was a, a guy at the gym. I was, he was on my pray for six list, and I'm praying for him. And uh, we, we get chatty a little bit. We seem to get along well, and I thought, and I was praying for him, and I said, you know, God, I, I feel like I should invite him for a cup of coffee and just kind of get to know him a little more, maybe share a little bit about my faith or about Jesus with him. And, and um, so I'm at the gym. He came up to me in the weight room, and that same week, I'm praying for him, he said to me, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee this week? And I said, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. And we did. We had a great conversation about life and faith and parenting, and it was just a really, uh, we've become really good friends since then. But God opened that door. Just simple, it's just a very simple way to pray to, to change our hearts, to warm our hearts to the people around us. And then we pray that a door would open. So let's pray for an open door to the message. But also, uh, if you see in verse 4, pray that I proclaim it clearly as I should. That's a good prayer. If we're going to start praying this way, we should pray that we're clear when we speak about Jesus. Because a lot of times people will reject Jesus, and they really haven't rejected the gospel. They think they have, but they've, they're rejecting some false notion of who Jesus is and what he's offering us in his grace. In a parallel passage in Ephesians, Paul says, he says, I pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Why is he praying for fearlessness? This is the Apostle Paul, the messenger of Jesus, you know, sent to plant churches and be a great missionary and pastor and leader. He's praying for fearlessness. Why would he do that? Is it because he's always fearless all the time? No, if he was always fearless all the time, he wouldn't pray that he would be fearless. He's praying for fearlessness because there's a concern that fear can get in the way of this. So if you ever wanted to speak of your faith and share your faith, but you're really nervous or really afraid, you're in really good company. Right there with the Apostle Paul. So we just pray that we are clear, pray that we would not be afraid. And um, yeah, that's how we speak to God about people. I just, real quick before we move on, this resource has a lot of different ways that you can grow in your prayer life, that you can, opportunities to pray with other people or to receive prayer, to learn about prayer. I encourage you, take this home, read it through. If you want to grow in your prayer life, take advantage of these resources. So take that home. But that's uh, speaking to God about people. Secondly, is about speaking to people about God. And this is going to include wise actions and gracious speech. First, in verse 5 acting wisely. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And you'll notice a shift here. The Apostle Paul, the great leader, the great missionary, the great church planner, he's saying, pray for me that the door will open up, that I might say these things. And then he says, you church, you take advantage of every opportunity. That this task of evangelism is not just for the apostles, it's not just for the trained leaders, it's for every follower of Jesus Christ. Take advantage of those every opportunity. That's your life in the 110, as we've been calling it. The 110 hours that you're awake but not together here, that we are living it out in those places and in those hours. 
all of us, taking, you know, making the most of every opportunity. It's a great reminder that our actions, you know, act wisely towards outsiders, that our actions should match our words. One of the things that hangs us up is that our actions and our words don't always match. At least for me, I don't know about you. I want to follow Christ excellently. I want to live a life that does, is not angry and is kind words and grace, but my actions don't always match that. And it can trip us up because we, when that happens, we feel like, well, I'm not a good representative of Jesus. My coworkers saw me get angry. My, my family members saw, you know, heard my words. And sometimes uh, non-Christian people throw that back at us. Oh, Christian, listen to you, foul-mouthed Christian. Aren't you supposed to be a good Christian? Oh, you angry Christian, aren't you supposed to be full of grace and kindness? And it hurts, because we know it's true. But yeah, I fall short. What we need to remember in those moments is that to live out our faith isn't to live perfectly. If we live if we want to share Christ and we live perfect lives to show people how to follow Christ, they're going to think they have to be perfect to follow Christ, and that's really hard. But if we live lives that are seeking what is good and right, and as we fall, dealing with our sin, confessing our sin, receiving grace again, receiving forgiveness from others, that's a, life of, that's a lifestyle of repentance and faith that does actually demonstrate the Christian walk better than perfection does. Jesus demonstrated perfection. We demonstrate following Jesus, receiving his grace. Don't get frozen there. And then make the most of every opportunity. Not make every opportunity. Not shoehorn Jesus into every conversation, but go about your day. You go to work to work, not to evangelize. Do your work well. Work excellently. Take advantage of every opportunity. But then as God opens a door, walk through it. Speak of his love. Speak of his goodness. So it's wise action, but also gracious speech. Last, last thing here, verse 6. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you, you will know how to answer everyone. Words full of grace, not debate. This is not theological debate. You know, find your atheist friend and get in a fight or argument. That tends to not uh, change people's hearts. It actually helps both sides just kind of dig in. It, but there is a place for that. There is a forum for, you know, people and uh, people have theological debates and, and, and that sort of thing. But for us, our task is to speak words of grace. Speak in ways that are seasoned with salt, meaning interesting. You know, uh, you know Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You know, we, we bring seasoning and, and we preserve it. Sometimes people speak about their faith as if it's some curse. I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I believe in that stuff. And Seriously? The God of the universe came to this place to save your soul. You can speak of that as something that is good and right and alive. And when you experience it, you do. So we, we speak seasoned with salt so that we can answer everyone. Now, this is a tough one. Because it is very hard to answer everybody's question about faith and every detail and every point of theology. But we do need to be able to answer, what is it about this Jesus? What is it about the Christian faith? Isn't it just, you know, aren't you just want your Christian path up the mountain? That's great for you. Mine's fine for me. 
You know, isn't it just, aren't these all just a bunch of different paths up the same mountain? Somebody takes the Hindu path, somebody takes a, some other spiritual path, somebody takes a Christian path. It's all going up the same way towards God. And we say, actually, no. There's, do you know your path enough to know why it is radically different than any other path? I'm going to give you three things that I think every Christian should just have. If, if you, somebody were to say to you, what is unique about your faith? What, what is it about Jesus? These three things. One, history versus philosophy. That the Christian faith is about the history of the world. That God has created the world and that he has revealed himself throughout history. You know, particularly through the nation of Israel, in the life of Jesus Christ, and most amazingly in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not an idea, an event that happened in history. A lot of faith systems and worldviews are based on just spiritual ideas. This is how we think about the world, and this is how we think about ethics, and how we think about its ideas. It's not historical events. And that sets Christianity apart in a way that other, most other faith systems can't even, aren't even close. The second thing is about grace, the notion of grace in the Christian faith. Other worldviews and other faith systems will talk about grace, but nothing that comes even close to the idea that we, do, we earn nothing from God. We, uh, and I'll contrast grace with what I call religion. Religion is about following the right path or doing the right pillars or what I achieve and accomplish. Our Christian faith is about what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf that he gives us freely. It's not about what we do, it's about what he has done. And that, again, that, is, that, is, that puts you on a whole nother mountain. It's a, it's a radical departure. The third one is about a relationship with a holy God. So you can talk about a holy God. Let's say you have a friend who's a Muslim. You, see, you could both talk about a holy God and how God is so great and all-powerful and, and so transcendent and other than us, and we can agree on that. But once you start talking about having a relationship that me as a sinful human being can be forgiven, that I might encounter and experience a holy God in a personal way, that is a... That's a, even, for some, even for some Christians, when they hear that and when they experience it, it's just, it's just transforming. The creator of the universe cares about me and cares to guide me and to be present with me and to never leave me or forsake me. That is, that is amazingly different than, than other systems of thought, belief, or faith. Um, so those three, for sure, from a, just from a big picture, now, that we might answer, might be able to answer everyone. We do need to help each other with this because it's so easy to get frozen or intimidated by people's questions and, well, I don't know all the right answers and, you know, I wish my smart Christian friend were here to answer your tough, uh, you know, science-y questions or whatever. But we can help each other and we can explore that together. But from the big picture, uh, this is a, those are, we can all have that. It's not out of grasp is my point for anybody to, to understand these things. So here's, here's how we live this out now. So we're, ta we're talking to God about people, and then we're talking to people about God. And at some point in your journey, in your 110 hours this week, you're gonna, uh, you may have an opportunity to speak of Christ. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could just be nice. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you'd just be better. Although, we should be nice, and he is making us better. He... He came to make you new, to give you new life. And what a blessing that is. And when you experience that, you want to be a blessing to others, to make the message, the good news of Jesus, known to all people.
So talk to God about people and talk to people about God. May he open the doors for you. Amen.